Hey heroes, welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. With over 25 years in public safety, I am wicked excited and honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers who are harnessing the power of -of out-of-the-box thinking when it comes to using the latest and greatest must-have technology tools, a people-first leadership approach, and mental health resources to save lives on both sides of the call. Before we get started, I would like to say thank you to our premier sponsor, NGA911. With their reliable cloud-based end-to-end NG911 solutions, I am super confident they can fulfill your needs when it comes to next-gen core services, call handling, data analytics, and much more. Oh, and did I mention it is affordable and customizable? Make sure you visit our friends at www.nga911.com and tell them Tracy sent you. Now, on with the show. All right. Welcome, Todd. How are you today, my friend? Thanks for having me. I'm really good. How about you, Tracy? I am fan-freaking-tastic. I think that's the only way to describe it these days. (laughs) Super excited to have you here. We have a lot of awesome things to to talk about. Uh, You and I connected in a couple of different ways. You were going to take one of the classes that I was doing in Jefferson County, Tennessee, but unfortunately being shorthanded, um, thwarted that mission. So we'll, we'll pick up that piece later. Uh, but you had also submitted to be on my podcast, which I, I really appreciate if folks are interested in being on the podcast, they can jump on my website and, and submit. Uh, but when you added your information, I just thought it was a really cool topic. So we'll get more into that. But before we get started, can you just give my listeners uh, a little bit about who you are to today. Uh, what, what do you do in your big, jo- big boy job today? And a little bit of history on, on, you know, what your public safety career has been like and, and kind of how you landed where you are today. Uh, yeah, sure. So first and foremost, my name is Todd Spence, and I am the director and paramedic of Sevier County 911 Central Dispatch in Sevier County, Tennessee. We are noted for our tourist attractions. We are Dollywood. We are Pigeon Forge. We are the Appalachian Trail, Gatlinburg and vice versa. I have been in this role for a little over three years. I took over as director. I am the only second director in our 911's history. And I took over, yeah, I took over September the 1st of 2018. And it was due to the previous initial director that was retiring after, you know, seven, I'm sorry, after 17 years of service. So I kind of lucked out on, yeah, I kind of lucked out on that side of the coin. My career started 20 years before I was paramedic, field training officer and supervisor at Sevier County Ambulance Service. That's where I kind of cut my teeth at really, and truthfully, it's where I began my career. I worked there, paramedic still, uh, still doing teaching on the side for uh, Roan State, Walter State, helping do like national registry stuff. And then with the Walter State, I was actually helping EMTs and paramedics. While I'm this, I'm also a reserve deputy, and I've been the medic on our special operations response team for the past 10 years. Doing that, uh, still a firefighter, part-time medic at 
Gatlinburg Fire Department. It's pretty much it. I don't like to be bored. <laughs> Apparently, lots of public safety experience. You didn't mention anything about being police side. Do you, have you dabbled a little in anything police? Because we got lots of fire, EMS, 911, yeah. any police stuff in there? I've been a uh, I've been a reserve deputy for over 10 years, and I'm actually a medic on our special operations response team. They're our version of the SWAT team. We just call it SORT team. Okay. And we go out on high-risk warrants, uh, drug bust. Uh, we work especially hand-in-hand with uh, Drug Task Force, United States Marshal Service. I've been doing that for boots on the ground for, like I said, over 10 years. It's fun. It's exciting. I I bet you do not have have much uh, downtime as far as the adrenaline rushes go, for sure. So so you're out in the field. You're doing you know the field work for for EMS. The previous director decides that he's going to retire. How do you go from being out in the field in the ambulance as a paramedic to the director of a nine one center? How does how does that transition take place? Um, it was it wasn't my intention. I, I will tell you that I love the radio side of things. I love the comm side of things. Uh, I was usually the the go to guy as far as that goes at the ambulance service to work with radios and stuff like that. And you know, to tell you how far back I was, my very first radio was a Kenwood TK two fifty, <laughs> and uh, those things are basically an antique now. Right after that was the big Saber bricks and stuff like that. But it was never really my intention. So I was sitting there one day, and I was approached by one of the individuals in the mayor's office. And the mayor, uh, they said, "Hey, why don't you look into this?" And I have never, like I said, it never, it was never on my radar, never crossed my mind or anything like that. And I was like, okay, I'll look into it a little bit. And then I began to look into it. And then I was like, you know what? That's, that's a really good idea because, you know, I still miss the ambulance, of course. But now, now I'm going from working 24 hour shifts where I had a, a little one at home, uh, being gone from them every third day to being home every night you know, and being there for on the weekends for, you know, sports activities and get togethers and vice versa. So that was definitely the benefit of it. And then the actual fact of progressing or upgrading from where I was, as far as financially and, you know, having roles and responsibilities being that director. So it was, it was definitely a lot of plus positives didn't really see any negatives. I, I really didn't. Luckily, I had not made all my dispatchers mad in the past 20 years being on that ambulance. So uh, they knew who I was. Smart, they, smart, uh, very smart. They liked me as well. And, um, you know, I, I would always see them out. And, of course, we'd start swinging by dispatch. And then, uh, you know, if I saw them, I'd, I'd, I'd always go out of my way to talk to them and stuff like that just because who they are and everything like that. And then, then I started getting approached by them hey, why don't you look in this? Why don't you talk about this? And I'm like, ah, you know, it's it's definitely there. And we're talking about it. We're looking at a couple of things. And then then I got that call. Uh, hey, they're really interested in you. You need to apply for it. And I was like, okay. So I applied for it. And I went in asking some questions, went through the interview process and come out and I accepted the position. That's awesome. Because yeah, you know, a lot of times folks will use dispatch as a stepping stone to get to the other side of of the radio. And you actually did it 
kind of the opposite way. And some folks would, you know, wonder, all right, had, had you had enough in the, on the EMS side, but it sounds like you're still, you know, pretty heavily involved in there. So you're coming in as an outsider. And I know that this happens in 911 centers, and I know that it can be really challenging. So you come in as, as an outsider from the communication center, and you're, it sounds like you were pretty well received as coming in as an outsider. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I didn't have a, I didn't have any really drawbacks or any problems because we we're a relatively small ambulance service. We only had nine ambulances at the time throughout the county. We were very busy. You got to think in our area, we see five million visitors a year, and yeah. so definitely they knew who I was. They knew was no major issues and stuff like that or um, concerns going in because that helped me out tremendously. I could definitely understand if. If I was brand new, I had just moved here and I was just coming right out of the gate and being their director and they didn't know anything about me at all and didn't know my history or my background, that had definitely been some uh, some growing pains, so to speak. So as far as your agency goes, how many telecommunicators do you guys have you know, employed? Right. I have... We're a little different uh, because we are just 911 ourselves, but I have uh, over 50, I have, I'm sorry, I have 17 employees full-time. I have three part-time employees and we get all the 911 calls, of course, but we will relay it to whichever police department in that jurisdiction. We have four major police departments in our area and they still have their own dispatch as far as that goes, but they do not receive any 911 calls. But we are not fully consolidated. We are looking at that path, but in the state of Tennessee, it's not really a have-to situation, but we are looking at that. Yeah. So, and I'm just going to, so I'm not great with time, especially right now. So when I first, actually, so you weren't there when they had the big fires in Gatlinburg, correct? Uh, I was not. You were in the, in the dispatch center. center. I was on the ground on the Right. I was okay. actually on the ambulance that night. And uh, yeah, it was a rough night. It was a rough 96 hours. So I need to back up just a second. So the 2016 wildfires, brutes on the ground that night, whenever it first started, I was working with an EMT in Pigeon Forge on the ambulance. And I was the only ambulance in Pigeon Forge. Oh, wow. So we were going back and forth because Pigeon Forge of Gatlinburg is separated by five mile stretch called the Spur. And that's in the national park. And we were going back and forth and taking care of all these calls and vice versa. So horrible night, rough night. We all know the stories. My concerns and my issues were the gentleman I was with, love him to death, but he was brand, brand new to the ambulance. Oh. Uh, you know, ink on the card, still wet. Yeah. So, I mean, love him to death, but, you know, we did the best we could. So the, the main things that we were running into is going, responding to homes where power went out and all of a sudden, all of a sudden the, um, the alarm systems were going off. They can't make contact with anybody because all the phones are down. So my size 15 Danners was uh, helping open a few doors to get into folks. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, then, uh, huh, luckily they wasn't there, but then we had the other side of the coin where we were going into homes that fire was all the way around us and people were waiting to the last moment for us to get them and get them out of there. I remember one lady in specific, she was on a vent and she was, you know, she waited to the last moment really because fire was all the way around her and we were so 
hot in that area that we were getting black soot and stuff like that all over our ambulance and uh you know we should not have been there she had she should have really been out a long time ago but luckily where she was uh, we got her out safe uh, she couldn't go back to her home for about four days but then she was able to go back and luckily the the wind it didn't burn her house down but it oh, caught wow. everything around her on fire even stuff in her front yard was on fire um so that was kind of wild so the next day i got back on the ambulance then the following day damage assessment uh recovery efforts and then i went to the eoc which is down in our dispatch center and started you know talking to those folks and working with those folks and everything like that with the sheer call volume and everything that was going on that night it was wild that's for sure i bet i bet i had actually just started um with rapid sos not long after that and i remember going to gatlinburg for the winter workshop that was one of my first conferences that i that i had attended so to be able to see you know kind of the magnitude going there i can i can only imagine how how challenging it was for for everyone in that in that area and and as far as the telecommunicators go um yeah so you move into dispatch you are now tasked with looking at things in a very very different way how long would you say that it took you to really feel comfortable in what your roles and responsibilities were because then the reason why i ask that is because we have folks that are transitioning into director positions whether they have the experience or they don't have the experience in the communication center but how long would you say it took you to feel comfortable in in your role well comfortable is maybe you know four or five months into it learn stuff new every day of course mm -hmm. I, i'm the type that i want to get my hands on it i want to you know get my hands dirty so to speak so the very first thing i did whenever i walked in the door was hey show me your cad show me everything about it i want this this right here so i've done i've done that for several days until i felt confident in, in my ability to there uh, because like i said i knew the radio side of things fairly well and i knew the radio system very well yep so then i'm a big component on training i believe in training i love everything about it so the next thing that i did was i walked to the door and i said you know what we are going to up our training because uh, that's what all the employees want you know i sit down i talked to every single employee i started the uh that first week and i wanted to i asked them what's the pros what's the cons what what can we do to make this department better and i love that training was at the very forefront of everything so i said okay what about certifications and they're like well we have one unfortunately they had went with a uh provider that was not well accepted and wasn't really you know didn't really have a lot behind them so I said, no, we're not going to do that. So for my side of the house, being national, you know, national registry was a top mark, especially with paramedics. I said, let's look for the top mark. And, you know, arguably the top marks, of course, are PowerPhone, uh, APCO Inter, and, you know, those were we went with. I went ahead and went with APCO. So yep. we got all of our folks certified and everything like that. And then we continued on with, you know, training. We went through some other uh virtual academy through state of Tennessee and then yeah. some other platforms. So we build up our training, we build up our certifications and that makes everybody feel more comfortable right there. Oh, 100, 100%. Yeah. Because before, um, you know, policies and procedures were there, but they wasn't exactly 
easy to find, easy to follow. It was ever evolving, ever changing. So now, you know, whenever we walked in the door and we done this and policies and procedures, everyone was on the same page. It wasn't a shift divided. Well, first shift does it this way. Second shift does it this way. Third shift, I didn't know. I said, no, we're not doing that. Everyone is accountable. Everyone will have ownership. And knowing these protocols and procedures, that way you know exactly what Chair B is doing, Chair C is doing, and then you all are on the same page. Well, and I think that's important too, because when I look at your foundation, everything we do, because I'm, I'm still an EMT, I was, I was a paramedic for a minute, but everything that we do in EMS is protocol driven. Like you're, you're either... You're, you're doing it based on, you know, standing operating procedures, or you're asking med control if you can do something that might be outside of the box. And I think that there are a lot of agencies that are struggling to get their policies and procedures in place. I recently worked with an agency um, where I evaluated their APCO EMD program uh, to, you know, just to kind of get a pulse on how they're doing things. And one of the first questions I asked, I, I said, do me a favor and send me like 20 recordings of the calls. Um, so I can see, you know, to what extent are they doing EMD, you know, on, on all the medical calls, and then send me your policy. And they felt horrible. They're like, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, like, we, we don't, we, we have a policy, but it's not like, you know, a full policy. And, and I had to explain to them, like, you're not alone in this. Like, there are a lot of agencies that are struggling to get their policies. I think it's great that when you started out, you sat down with your folks one-on-one. -on -one. Huge, huge. Because I know other centers where a director has come in and they've hit the ground running and everything is, is the task and the results and numbers and call answer times and, and those things. But the fact that you sat down with your folks and realized, you know, one, that training was the priority and training means nothing without policies and procedures. Right. Right. And I, and I also let my folks know is, you know, yes, training is huge, but I brought in, I call it the gray line. Uh, and the reason why I call it the gray line is I explained to my folks, I was like, look, we'll have policies and procedures, we'll have guidelines. I said, nothing, 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 nothing is black and white. I said, there's an Love awful it. lot of gray, awful lot of gray in that area. So if I take this first call and I follow my SOPs and SOGs and I say, I ask those pertinent questions, are they breathing? Are they conscious and alert? What's the problem going? You know, what's my contact information? Then I've got my foundation and then I can ask other things to, you know, really get me going down the right path, which way I need to go with this, what kind of call it may be. So there's definitely, definitely that, you know, and, and beating that and getting that point across is the hardest thing, even on the EMS side of the house. You had some folks that were jumping into this career and they were like, oh, no, 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 it can't be this because the textbook says it's this. No, right. not always. You know, I also believe in customer service. And, you know, that was instilled in me as well is that, you know, you've got to be professional. You've got to be courteous. you got to, you know, earn those people's respect. Even, I don't care if you're stepping off fire truck, ambulance, police car, or answering that phone. You know, if you answer that phone, you're like, God, Sevier County 911, what is it? That's not, you're not a, you know, those people, you know, half the time are calling you on the worst day, on the yep. worst incident of anything's going on. And you want to be there to help them as best you can. And I said, absolutely. You're going to get that other person 
that calls five times a day. We're still going to be professional. We're still going to be courteous to them. And we're still going to have those core values and those ethics of being good service, customer service representatives, as well as, you know, being that first responder. And I think that's setting setting the bar. I think, well, number one, I know that most centers, the majority of centers right now are shorthanded. That's number one. Number two, the climate that's out there, the culture, um, the way that folks are being treated on the phone. It's horrible. I'm doing some work with a large agency, have had the opportunity to sit and listen, you know, in with some of their telecommunicators. And I, I leave feeling deflated and I'm not even taking the calls and handling the calls with just the things they're saying about responders and things like that. And, and our folks are burnt. They're not, they're not always getting the mental health resources that they can get, but at some point, they have to realize that even with all of those things, they still have to be kind. They still have to, you know, be empathetic to the person that's calling. And sometimes they don't want to hear it because they may be struggling with a coworker, a supervisor, or they may be struggling outside of the 911 center. But every time I hear a new call surface, um, where there's a recording attached to it, where a call taker is being less than empathetic or kind to a caller, it makes me cringe because these folks don't have an opportunity to call somebody else. It's not like if you don't like what Burger King did, you can go to McDonald's. It's 911 and it's them. So I think that's amazing that you've set the bar to right. the place where hopefully your folks understand the importance of keeping that customer service aspect of it and in the forefront. What would you say is your biggest challenge with that? The biggest challenge sometimes is our, our sure carol volume. You know, in, in this year alone, we are already up 176%. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, the sure call volume and I understand the workload and I understand the stress. So I've, I've taken some, some situations and, you know, trying to benefit and better our, our folks inside of our center, first and foremost, you know, kind of going from there and to help them deflate and help them ease the stress and everything like that. So we, we do have some simple things, you know, first and foremost, we have exercise stuff. If you want you get in your station, they have stress balls for strength grip. And then we have kettle balls. Then we have the, the cycles and bikes underneath the desk, the desk cycles and stuff like that. And then I went and got massage guns the little massage guns. Oh, I love that. Yeah, massage everybody. And each has their own, has on there. Then we have, of course, the kitchenette, the the snack areas, the coffee bars, the uh, TVs, pretty much anywhere and everywhere. Good Wi-Fi because we're all about communications and stuff like that. You know, if it is very horrible, stressful situation or calls, then we go through those uh, steps to take care of those folks as far as mental health we do um we've had uh, dogs to come in our center and stuff like that we have a great support system as far as peer support that we can reach out to we have a core of chaplains that we can reach out to as well that are very good and very receptive and responsive whenever i make that call so those those pan out very well as 
as helping the center itself. But I love seeing, I love, I love seeing that you have implemented peer support. It is really, really important. It, it's obviously something that's super passionate, a, a huge passion of mine to make sure that our folks are getting and puppies. Yes. Bringing puppies in. I will say that on every call, whenever somebody tells me they've brought the dogs in, you can't, unless you have a horrible fear of dogs, you know, for one reason or another, I know that those folks deal with folks that do have a fear. So I, I know a couple of agencies that have brought them in and set up ways to communicate. Like, I really don't want the dog near me, which is, which is okay. But I've, I've never seen a center bark at not having dogs coming in and they just make you feel better. Right. Mm -hmm. So I love that you're doing that. That's, that's awesome. So I do want to talk about, so you wrote a book, you wrote, you wrote a kid's book. Can you tell me a little bit about that kid's book? And then I'm going to follow it up with a question. All right. So that's what I do. Yeah. Looky there. My goodness. I may even <laughs> right there. I'll find it. Oh, love it. Love it. Um, so I have two boys. I have a, I have a seven-year-old and a six-year-old and, uh, you know, love them to death. And they didn't it sparked because they didn't really understand all that I did yep. so they would see me coming home with a radio on my side all the time but then they would see me go out with our ACU tacky form where the you know our camouflage stuff on and then they would see me with my vest on and stuff like that and then one day they just finally sat down and said you know what all do you do because we were going <laughs> we were going out to a uh, a, a night raid and um it was it was a drug bust and we were waiting on we were waiting on some high level folks to come in and we were getting ready to get them and luckily we did get them but we were sitting there and i come out getting my gear on and i'm walking out the door and i usually kept everything kind of separated but this time i had to put in my gear in the house and then go out and all my stuff yep. was in the house that day and i walked out and here i am in my plate carrier gun on my side. What are you doing? What's going on? And I'm like, look, I'm going to go get some bad guys. Whenever I come back, if you guys are still awake, we will talk about everything. And I said, okay, great. So we went, we took care of what we need to. We got the so the guy, we got, we made a bunch of, we got a bunch of drugs off the street and I come back and we're waiting patiently and dealing with six and seven year olds, you know, they got questions and you know, they want to know. So oh, yeah. I set them down and I explained, I explained everything that I do. Um, and they were very receptive to it and they really appreciated it. And they're like, okay, great. Well, we didn't know that dad. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no problem. So then it kind of sparked. I'm like, well, not a lot of kids know what a tactical medic is. Not a lot of kids know what, a, you know, tactical communications folks are and nor that they really know what special operations unit or special unit to do with the police department so i said all right uh we'll go ahead and i want to look at build i want to look at doing a book so started writing a book started doing some illustrations stuff like that and got it out there uh luckily i was very lucky that i had some fantastic help on the book and uh, Amazon picked it up. Then we've been dealing with them ever since. And then now we've get an opportunity as we're getting past COVID and we're opening up more and we're getting out there more that we are going into schools now and we are going. Love that. And I do it as a two part thing. So I do it as a, as a 911 side of the thing to let them know when to call, what to call. 
and we have activities and stuff like that for them. And then I went and then we'll do the, we'll, we'll go and do the, the medical side of things too with the sheriff's department. And then, you know, we'll present them with a book and I've sent the book out to several teachers and stuff like that. And then as we send out the book, we also send out activities. So we'll send out the book and then I'll send out color forms, the color forms with myself or the team with our canine. And it, it will be in front of a classroom with a teacher to the side of it and students. So they kind of get that as well. So they like yep, that that's cool. And then, so what is the title of the book? If somebody wanted to find it on Amazon? It's a, what's a tactical medic? What's a tactical medic by D Todd Spence. And it's on uh, Amazon right now. That's awesome. So I was going to ask if there was a 911 component. So that was my next question is, mm -hmm. you know, because because here's what I envision, you know, I'm just throwing this out there is that maybe there should be a what's a 911 dispatcher book? What's a police officer book? What's a canine officer book? Like I could just see a whole series for you. So absolutely. I'm sure you have plenty of time in your day to do these. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I have got a couple people that were asking about more and uh, yep. we're definitely going to work on we're going to look at all of the aspects. Yeah, because I mean, it is one of the one of the things that I love to do is to talk to kindergartners, um, you know, about 911. I've actually been out of the center for five years, but the local uh, elementary school had reached out and asked if I would come back and do it. I'm super excited. I get to do that. There is nothing better than talking to kindergartners about 911 stuff. They tell you everything. Like they will literally disclose the family secrets, right? And and it's 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 always fun to do that. So the the public education is is huge, is huge. Um yeah. so so you moved from I know one of the challenges for folks is when they make a major change in their career and and they either so in your case you went from from physically saving lives to kind of verbally saving lives right and then a lot right. of folks are are leaving the 911 center they're embarking on you know whether they're moving to the vendor side or the private sector or maybe they've gone from from being the dispatcher and and move out into the field if there was advice that you could give to somebody who's struggling with one, the decision to make a, a huge career change like that, what would you tell them? And then the second part of the question, so what would you what would you tell them if they were struggling and making a big career change, if they had an amazing opportunity like you did? And then the second part of that question is how how did how did you switch your mindset from from saving lives kind of physically to saving lives in a very different way? Okay. Yeah, well, that's a lot. Okay, first thing I would do is uh, talk to those people. First and foremost, and it happened here in our center, is I would say, look, I will never, ever, ever blame you, discourage you, or hold you back from bettering yourself. If this is something you want to do, then let's talk about it. I will give you, I'm a realist, I will give you the pros and cons, and I will give you avenues of opportunity that you can go and check this out. So I had an individual that wanted to go work with the medical examiner's office. I said, all right, I can make a call. And you go out there and see what it's like. They come back. Mm, no, not for me. Okay, good. Yeah, uh, I can't I see that would be, that wouldn't be for me either. No, then I had another one say, you know what, what about, I wanted to go, I want to go check out being an EMT. Okay, not a problem. We lined them up. We lined them up with, uh, you know, going out to ride along 
with a with ambulance service with my old ambulance service and they loved it when got their emt now they're in nursing school so that worked oh, out wow fantastic. you know they progressed on that side of things but i will tell them have that peer support have that discussion you know if this is something you want to do don't what if it to death if it's something you want to do and you're passionate about it i will help you any way i physically can and let you know if you come up to me and say I want to become a paramedic, but I can't stand the sight of blood. It's not for you. you know, nope, definitely not, not for you. you. Uh, nope. And we've had those discussions as well. I had, whenever, you know, we took over and I started answering those calls, it was hard. It was hard for me to, to transition from doing what we needed, what I was used to doing to follow yep. my SOGs and SOPs. So uh, luckily with our, with our medical dispatcher and our medical director and stuff like that, you know, we are going out there with APCO and saying, all right, do your Narcan, do your aspirin, do your nitro if you have this. And, and we're, we're having those conversations with these folks. So we're, we're helping out a lot more, but it was hard for me the first time because I was sitting there asking the typical paramedic questions, Yep. but I'm, I wasn't there, but I was able to relay that information on to the responding units. That was the hardest thing for me, especially. But I got our folks away from, you know, 911, what's your emergency? Where are you at? Okay, they'll be right there. Click. No, we want right. more. We want to find out more. We want to see what's going on with these folks and see if we can help them. You know, it could be as simple as a nosebleed. Hey, tell them to lean forward. Tell yep. them to put an ice pack on the bridge of their nose. And you'll be surprised how that's, that works. Yep. A lot of people are, oh, we didn't know that. Well, yeah, just try that and talk to these folks. Go from there. Well, I think I think one of the aspects too is when you when you move into an EMD program, if you have folks that, so I had a couple of folks that were EMTs. And in the beginning, we had to kind of reiterate, like you're an EMD, not an EMT. So some of the questions that you ask as an EMT, you're not going to ask as an EMD. So that was definitely a challenge moving forward. But I also found a benefit of having me as the trainer, having that medical background and teaching them some medical stuff, because it really is important for them to understand the connection between one thing or why are we doing this? And, and I think that's I think that's, you know, really cool that that you can you can bring that aspect to what it is that you do every day. So, Absolutely. yeah, it sounds it sounds like you're doing some pretty cool stuff there. And uh, how, how much do you miss being out on the road? I do miss it quite a bit because I strive to be I strive to be the paramedic that if I stepped off that ambulance, they were like, oh, if someone knew me, they're like, OK, look. That's Todd. He's the paramedic. You're going to be taken care of. Get it as far as working part-time with the Gatlinburg Fire Department and or out there with the sheriff's office. So I still get that. So I still I still get my cake and eat it too. But then I still yep. like to come in here and answer the calls and helping po folks and also helping staff because I encourage them. If you have questions, ask, you know, uh, find out what it is. Don't just, you know, don't, if someone tells you that they have, you know, hyperlipidemia, don't just sit yep. there and type it in there. Find out what it is. You know, if someone yep. tells you, hey, I have, I have stiff man syndrome, find out what it is. And then right. that way, if you ever come across it again, you have the knowledge, you have the experience, and you have the text to help them out further. Yeah. And, and it's really cool. And I think, I think something that we have to get better at is, is remembering the why that 
we do this job and I say we like I'm still in the 911 center. I feel like I'm still there sometimes, but you know, is is sometimes you have to go back and remember the why and you know, kind of get rid of that complacency and and just just going through the motions and checking off the check boxes, you really have to get back into, you know, the the nitty-gritty of of things. So, yeah. Pretty, pretty cool stuff. So I will definitely encourage folks to check out your little book. I can't wait to see more coming from you. With that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. I know time goes by super fast on these things. Um, but is there anything else that you want to share with with our folks? You know, you want them to come visit you in Gatlinburg? Absolutely. Can they come see your center? <laughs> um, so I, I have an open door policy, which means that... Yep. If you come into my facility or you contact me, you know what? I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to show you our center. We're going to give you the, the tour, you know, give you a challenge coin, give you a hat, give you whatever. And uh, thank you for being here, you know. And then also developing that relationship, developing that network, if you will. That way, if there is questions, if there is comments, concerns, we all learn from one another. We all learn from each center that you go into. It doesn't have to be a multi-million dollar facility. Mine's not. Right. But I learn just as much as I go into different places and those, and it's vice versa. You know, these million dollar yep. facilities, they learn stuff from me. You know, they're like, yep, well, absolutely. Hey, we, we never, we never thought about it like that. And they're like, well, how do you have the budget? We don't. We made right. do with what we had. You know, I would love to have, I would love to have that five, $6 million budget. I don't, not at all, but we might do. Yeah, absolutely. Come visit us, you know, you know, develop that relationship. And then that way you have a person that you can reach out to and that you can talk yeah. to and have that peer support because everyone needs it. Everyone, you know, yeah. everyone needs it. Especially somebody who's just coming into, you know, the role of director or supervisor. I think so often that we try to do this on our own and that you just feel like you have to do it on your own. And the best thing that I ever did was join the Mass Communication Supervisors Association. And that's Mass as in Massachusetts. One of my Tennessee friends thought when I told her from I was from Mass that I was coming from church. So just needed to make that clarification for my, my friends. But I do think that reaching out to folks that have done what you've you, that what you're about to embark on is is a valuable tool. So thank you so much for sharing that and your openness and willing to to chat and share your journey from from the ambulance into the 911 center. And I'm I'm so glad that you are a people driven leader. I can get that just from uh, hearing you speak and the things that you offer your staff and and the citizens that you serve. So. Todd, thank you so much for what you do. I appreciate you. And uh, I look forward to, to hearing more about what you're doing in the future. Thank you for this opportunity to uh, get out there. Hey, heroes. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please like and follow me on my on-scene first social media so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. And make sure you get to know our friends over at NGA 911. You can start by heading over to their social media and thanking them for being our premier sponsor. Remember, stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you.